I'm so glad to see that you're feeling better. You had a very close call. But you're gonna be all right. Now, just lie still. I'm gonna give you something. It's gonna make you feel even better. Gotta suck this dick tonight. Mm-mm. Gonna slurp it till it feels right. Mm-mm. Gonna feel a jizz in my mouth. Yeah, yeah. Sperms are going south. Yes, they are. Gonna feel that pulse. Thick, meaty mulse. I wanna taste it in my throat. Shoot that goo down those robes. I was recently told that our weird rapid intros are people's favorites. Yeah, they're they're definitely my favorites when I have to edit the episode. At least I'm like, it starts fun. <laughs> And then I just have to listen to myself drone on endlessly. Yeah, that's all downhill from there. Yep. So welcome. Welcome to the Bearded Dicks Musical Fun Time! And if you're not having fun, then you're not having time. BDMFT. BDMFT. I'm the Dick Fetty. I am the Beard. And welcome to Musical Bin (laughs) Dick Fun Time. This has now become devolved into the worst intro we've ever done. Yeah. So, we're back, and we're here to provide you with musical suggestions and a best or worst buy. Still best buy this week. Okay, yet to be determined, but now determined? It's determined. Yeah, it's determined. Okay. So, should we crack that box? Crack that box. So, it feels like it's been forever since I cracked the box. I think last week we did the show review, and that was fun. I'm glad I got to do that. And I've, I, I don't even remember what we hit before that. I think it was Dissecting Table, I guess, was I was hot on that. And then before that, it was the uh, the old end-of-the-year recap. But, yeah, I'm back on my grind as far as getting into some new stuff. And Too bad it's not Grindcore this week, because that would have been a good segue. That would have been. I'll try to remember that one for next time. But... Okay, so anyway, last Friday I went to the Morbid Angel Immolation Blood Incantation Necrot Show in Philly at the TLA, which is hands down one of my least favorite venues. Really fucking hate that place, but that's where they played, so that's where I went. To my extreme dismay, I found out at the end of Immolation set when they kept saying Morbid Angel was up next, and I had only seen Necrot play that I somehow missed Blood Incantation. I know they're one of those bands right now that's gotten a lot of shit because they've released more merch than they have records, but I really like them. I've recommended them several times on the show before. I saw them last year with Demolich. What's wrong with merch? I love merch. Yeah, some people... I can understand from a metalhead's perspective, like, the merch culture has taken over so insanely that there are bands like Blood Incantation or Dysma... Or a ton of, like, old bands where they're now suddenly cool again and they're releasing, like, 15 shirts every month and it's just, it's insanity. But, anyway, I went primarily to see Blood Incantation and missed it. So we came in right as Necrot apparently was starting and they are related to Vastum and Acephalix, which is our two, like, crusty death metal bands out of Oakland and that was pretty cool. Immolation was disappointing. I'm just going to give this brief recap because it leads into my recommendation. 
I'm not the biggest Immolation fan, but I respect them for the huge influence they've had on brutal death metal and just sort of like relentless, percussive, pummeling death metal type of a thing. They mostly played new songs, and that was fine because I don't know any of their songs for the most part, but their mix was really muddy, and the vocals were super loud, but the guitar was way too quiet, and the drums sounded like mud in in a way that would be fine if I was listening to Vasilith or Incantation, but was totally inappropriate for such a percussive-oriented sound. It was just... It was just, like, not clear what was happening half the time. It doesn't help that the TLA's acoustics are awful. Yeah, yeah, yes, okay, I'm glad somebody fucking knows this. So, yeah, it was it was rough, and it was disappointing, and then I cared the least about Morbid Angel. I've never been a Morbid Angel fan. I've tried since day one to get into Morbid Angel, but part of it was their status as, like, one of the most important bands, but also, like quote-unquote a sellout band and this that and the other and then they released like this total fuck-up disaster album and i've never heard it but that was like the overwhelming consensus seven years ago now something like that where i'm understanding there was like bad techno all through it and it was just like what the fuck is this and yeah i didn't care about anything i didn't even know they released an album after that and um <laughs> so i had no idea what to expect and they put on one of the best death metal performances I've ever seen. And I'm not as well-versed as some, and it certainly wasn't seeing them in 1989 or something when they were at their peak. But for my taste, they they played extremely well. And Trey Azagoth, who's the guitarist forever, was just like... For somebody who's been doing it for 30 years, it really shows. And was just like technical and skillful and soulful and just sounded fucking good and their mix was right like the vocals were at times barely audible it's just this throaty rasp of steve tucker who's also the bassist the rhythm guitarist was like loud enough but it was basically like all this perfect mixture of just like pummeling endless drums and trey azagoth like just doing crazy fucking molten magma solos on top of like gritty ass low end. It was just this like very mid and low oriented mix that was just like so much better than anything I've ever heard their recur- recorded versions of their stuff sounding like. It was it sounded like meaty fucking death metal and I was I was positively blown away from day 1 or from song 1 rather. Some bands you need to see live. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and so so I'm like, I'm just so stoked that I'm into it at all because I feel like they're going to play for a long time. They're the headliners. It's a big deal. And they played a couple new songs first, which were totally fine. But then they started to go into the older hits and the older albums. And I was like so happily surprised by how good and tight they sounded. And like because their albums jump in production styles so much throughout the years because like 80s death metal versus 90s yeah. huge differences... It was all like that same gritty style that I liked. It was like, it was fucking great. And so my first recommendation comes as a direct result. I've been really digging into their discography through Spotify, which, yeah, I know, whatever. But like, I'm going to buy these albums when I got a little extra cash. But the two that stick out to me, so I may review the other one on a later episode. The one is Domination, which gets shit on as like their first bad album. I really like it. Like, it's got some elements that are... You can totally understand where bands like Nile have come from. Like, this cheesy fucking epicness. But, like, I like cheesy fucking epicness. Like, I can't do power metal, but when a death metal band tries to, like, become triumphant and whatever, it's like... It kind of fucking works. 
And there's also the song Where the Slime Lives, which is just like a fucking awesome song. Um, and that album has this like toxic green and purple cover art. It's totally fucking ridiculous and like seeming like so different from most of the cavern butthole death metal that I listen to. So that's cool. But the big one is the one that I've always really loved the art for and have always thought about buying. And now I wish that my high school self had just gone with my gut is their 2000 album from Earache called Gateways to Annihilation. And the cover is these, this Warhammer 40K looking sort of like building slash spaceship slash like monsters and eyes and guns. Like the, the full LP version of it's much more expanded. It's like this whole cosmic like citadel of like demon gargoyle faces and then it swirls into this pathway into this like castle thing in the cool. cosmos yeah it, it needs bigger shoulder pads but it's pretty close <clears throat> to war, uh, warhammer yeah war right game. no pauldrons but it, it's funny in the sense of so much of this shit in the 90s would have been like so like not that cool and yeah. this is 2000 so it even missed that 90s mark and now, like, everybody has gone back to being like, oh, man, remember when this stuff was the art style? Like, this is way cool. This this airbrushy... It's it's ridiculous. Um, and what brings me to this album more than any is the song that they played live from it called I, which I showed you earlier tonight. Yeah. And it's just, like, a nonstop romp. And... Uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was really fucking good. And, like, like live, I was just like, this is fucking awesome. Like, the solos were just, like, so nasty. I mean... Trey Asgoth has an extremely famous style and Blood Incantation's whole thing is basically his later period work as a template of just these like crazy screaming, like super quick solos, then like more whammy bar shit and this go between of like super fast and super eerie and all with this cosmic overtones. And they went like cosmic, esoteric, alien technology bullshit, whereas Morbid Angel still has a Florida meathead undertone to everything they've ever done. Uh, but this album just like has a lot of these solos and like gets into a mid pace for most of it. Um, the other one that really sticks out for me is secured limitations, which has like a ton of nice soloing in it, but the whole album is really fucking solid. And, um, I'd love to grab it on LP, but it's one of these where it's a little too long to be an LP. The, I think one side is like 25 minutes to the way that they've pressed it, which is not what it should be. No. Um, so I'm just probably going to wind up picking some of the old CDs up anyways. Cause it's, it's like from my perspective, death metal. So often if it's not the cavernous butthole death metal, then it's really just better for a CD. You get like that clean sound yeah. in a, in a good way. Maybe I pick it up on both. I really fucking like it though. So I'm, I'm totally blown away with myself. Like I never thought I could get into something that was so like obvious and mainstream other than like i love i fucking worship metallica you know like the good right. era of metallica and whatever but uh yeah like morbid fucking angel like who knew i'd be a morbid angel fan at 31 years old you know yeah so you're getting older yeah <laughs> i guess i'm getting dumber that's just how i always feel but uh no i feel like i i've just like slowly over the past 15 years of music snobbery eroded all of those snobbish barriers into stuff like that didn't meet my super elitist credentials. And now it doesn't all have to be the most obscure or the most whatever. Like I can appreciate the stuff that was popular for a reason. And gateways to annihilation is going to be my gateway into morbid angel. Like, and, and that being said, I have covenant, which is like their most famous album along with altars of madness. And I re-listened to it after the show. And I'm like, still like, yeah. not, not really. Cause yeah, that was the, um, 
uh, David Vincent era, and I don't like his vocals nearly as much as I like Steve Tucker's rasp, and it still just doesn't do it for me, but this Gateways to Annihilation, I, I, I'm probably going to do Domination on another episode, because that is David Vincent, and has, it's very similar, but like, it's it's noticeably less good or less consistent, but it has like a lot of weird shit that I, I, I got to show you before I review it, but so that's, that's number one. Second recommendation is a record I picked up in Oakland at the festival. It's Cahill's 2017 album Syndrome Antidrome or Antidrome, um, which came out in 2017 on Tesco organization, the German famous industrial power electronics label. So I showed you a couple tracks from this one, spooky German shit. I really, yeah, I really liked it. And you know, I'm not, I'm not like, I, I like noise and like a lot of that stuff, mainly because you've gotten me into it over the years. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit harder to please in certain areas than, mm. than not, not that like you're more lax on the genre, but like, you know more about it. Yeah. So, you know, this, I, I very, very much liked, like, you know, a lot of, this type of genre, it's hard to kind of bob your head to and, and move around to, but usually when you show me noise or harsh noise or anything like that, I kind of just close my eyes and zone out. And this, like, had me, like, moving a little bit, which, you know, isn't a bad thing. Yeah, so so for those who don't know Cahill, it started as sort of a side project to Genocide Organ and Inns of Failure, who are the two most famous projects, I guess, that have ever come out of Germany, along with Haus Herofna. And... Uh, they share members base. Uh, so what is it? Wilhelm Heydrich has been, I think, has been involved with an Enzophilia, if not from the beginning, then pretty close to it. And Brigant Moloch has been involved with Genocide Organ for about, as, I guess, as long as Wilhelm has been involved in an Enzophilia. So right. for a really long time, and they're both really long running acts, Genocide Organ especially. But when the first Cahill album came out, it was it was a sidestep for both projects that was sort of like instead of German heavy electronics or this like super brutal version of death industrial or this super grim version of death industrial, a la Anencephalia, it was its own unique thing. And there was this one particular track called black snow. That was sort of the, the lead single from the album that was the, uh, came out before the album did. And I worshiped that album and that track especially, but like, I mean, it came out when I had the bracelet on, was taking insane amounts of triple C every other day and was just like the perfect soundtrack to my like mental demise. And your slow walk into insanity. Yeah. Well, literally the, the lyrics to black snow are like, we are all walking until mental retardation, leaving our bones bleaching in the sun, black snow falls. Like it's just this like death March. And for those who don't know the projects, the dude from Anencephalia, uh, Brigant Moloch, his vocals are this just, like, cold, emotionless, affected, robotic, like, oration. It's it's the shit you'd hear in the factory is, like, you know, you're, you're putting together, like, the weapons work, that are... Work, work, work. Yeah, kill you and your family. I mean, he has... There's an Anencephalia track where it's, like, uh, like, oh, man, I forget. It's, like, mindless droke drones working on assembly lines like and he always says it's like echoing pulsing it's just like fucking just right under your skin like into your brain his best the new of the new genocide organ tracks like it's always his vocals that are the best where it's like the one song on the last album's like 
Uh, now our hands are in your mind, and your mind is in our hands, and you will do the things that you never wanted to do. And it's and it's said with this just like dead cold fucking emotionlessness that's just that much more remorseless and punishing, not in a heavy way of like abrasive, but a heavy way of like the weight of the words combined with like the monotone delivery just cuts to the core. So, anyway. Their old, their first album is great. Their second album, I've never purchased for whatever reason, even though I've listened to it a bajillion times via MP3, and I saw them live a year or two before I got sober in this like incredibly fucked up, like verge of alcohol poisoning mixed with like snorting half a bundle of heroin, puking my guts out every ten minutes at the show, and it was like just this fucking epic human disaster that night. It was. That was rough. <laughs> that was real rough. It was like part of a whole thing. And Enzofalia played the night before in New York. It was this whole Tesco festival. I'm tired just thinking about it. Yeah, in the USA. And the first night was like just raging alcohols. And that was the night where like I blacked out during the Omi set and woke up with like came to with a razor blade in my mouth and like was like bleeding all over the floor. I've told this story, I think, on the podcast before. Maybe. Yeah. And um, it was crazy. So I have this deep love for the band, but. I just keep getting put off from buying their new records. I think partially because they kind of hit me in a place mentally where it's like, I'm not always comfortable to mm -hmm. go back to. And I got this record cause it was like, it was there. It was in person. Also Tesco records are just expensive, always expensive. Yeah. So, um, but again, giving a lot of context to this, this record overall, it's, it's the closest to an Enzophilia that they've gotten since an Enzophilia has essentially been ended, although he's done like two pseudo posthumous releases. It is the most openly death industrial versus just like straight industrial, and by that I mean there's it's a little bit grimier, it's a little bit darker, there's uh less soundscaping in some ways, and the soundscaping that there is, it's all like closer to like the cacophony of like not the gates of hell, but the area around it and all like the fucking dead clamoring to get out and the demons clamoring to get in and, and, and just it, it, there's one track it's called um, Farmed Flesh. That was the first one I showed you. That's like it's got this like. <clears throat> And they're all tons of panning on the record, lots of stereo panning. And it's just to be these, like, it's like the sounds you would hear in a factory, like yeah, clock in, exactly. clock out. And then say. it's like, and they'll have these limited, it won't be consistent synth stuff. It'll just come in, like, they'll just be bass pulses rather than, like, consistent pulsing or, like, bass layers. And the whole album is just these fragments of, like, broken shit which like okay broken factory we talk about it all the time in industrial music but like truly the like autonomous nightmare factory just building your fucking worst dreams and uh the other one that really yeah i felt like i was at my job yeah, yeah <laughs> the one that really gets me is the other one which i showed you which is meant to drone which is the on the the first song on the second side and it's just like Men to drome, men to drome at the end and just has this like uh, all of the synths are perfectly they, they 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 whet your appetite for something even heavier, but they never deliver it, and in that way they leave you wanting in a way that I find to be super effective in my industrial records. Like I want to feel displeased and upset, like in a way that like I've had something removed from me by the listening experience. 
and I think this record delivers it. It's 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 their most part of what I think makes it so good is it has an echo of familiarity to Tune Enzophilia or even to Genocide Organ, but it just seems to be their most developed and and most consistently hammering record. Um, not again in an abrasive way, but in like a, just like emotional hammering, like, and track for track, it's like definitely their best record. Like there, there aren't any of the anthems of the past two, but every single song is good. And I want to, I want to say, I, I said noise earlier. I meant industrial. Yeah. Well, it's all, I mean, it's all a nexus yeah. and sometimes they overlap, but yeah, this one is one I slept on, you know, for a year and a half and I wish I hadn't, but it's all, I mean, it's just as good now, but it's yeah, really really grim shit and and it's like that night shift music for you know when you just want a oral equivalent of a bullet to the brain so uh but maybe that's an overstatement because this next record is really a fucking it's like a bulldozer to your soul uh and my third is sort of a timely recommendation for Mersbaugh's venereology cd which is Probably his most famous, along with Pulse Demon, originally released on Release Entertainment in 1994, uh, which was Relapse Noise Sublabel, uh, just reissued this past month in um, on Relapse Records on a double vinyl set. Uh, it is like famously one of the most, at least for anybody I've ever met or talked to, um, it is the loudest mastering any CD has ever had. Like it, the original CD, when you put it in your CD player, you know, everybody has a volume that they know and is like the safe volume for everything, right? Yeah. This CD just shits on that. Like it's like 15 times louder than that safe volume. And it, even it, to you the, it set on like two and it's like, <laughs> yeah, seriously, to the point where in the booklet, it says like warning, like we are not responsible for damage to any of like, you know, the following serial components, like listen to it your own risk. And uh, it is the fucking truth. And so I want to first give a shout out to this new podcast that you should, I should definitely check out if you're noise heads, which is the MERS cast that Mike Connolly and Gray Holger uh, do. They review a MERS Bow album every week, a uh, different album with a guest. They sit and listen to the whole album before the podcast. They take notes and then they discuss the album for 45 minutes. And they just did this album two episodes ago with uh, Phil Blankenship from the Cherry Point and basically i'm going to say a lot of stuff the same stuff they said it's funny because i was i just had brought it out again then it got announced as a reissue and i've been listening to it and now i just got the reissue yesterday um and it's so for me it's it's one of the first noise cds i ever bought i bought it in like i think 2004 but maybe it was early 2005 i bought it from relapse records record shop that they used to have in philly that was on 4th and South. It was an amazing store because it, it basically was a home for their massive distro and like huge deep back catalog. And I had heard Mersbau as Masami Akita and Russell Haswell as Satan's Tornade on this label called Falsh, which was a web-only label, sub-label of Mego, which is an old extreme electronics label from Austria. This whole weird thing. And then I found out about Satan's Tornade. And then I found out about Mersbau and... That was a whole journey. Yeah, it was it was a whole journey. And simultaneously with Mersbau, it was like Mersbau and then immediately after Purient and Wolf Eyes and the Cherry Point and the Rita. And I think I've talked a little bit about that whole thing before. I probably on the Finnish noise one. I think but, so. But yeah, I picked up this C D and I was 
I was either like a sophomore or a junior in high school and I bought it and I brought it home and I'd heard like the tiniest bit of Mersbau and the tiniest bit of noise generally. And I was wholly unprepared for the fucking just relentless assault. Uh, the first track is like 30 fucking minutes long of just nonstop blasting, like destroy your soul noise called Ananaranga. And it's just like, if you can get through that, then the rest of it's fucking easy. And, and, and the tracks are comparatively, um, more digestible, uh, in a certain sense. So I showed Ben the Cloak Clean Fantasy, which is the second track from the vinyl version having just been listening to the CD over and over and over again, I don't know if it's my ears, if I'm expecting to hear something different and I'm just finding it or what, but the new album loses the third track. I will lead you. I lead you towards glorious times, add some bonus tracks, and then is supposed to be remixed and remastered by Masami Akita, AKA Mersbao and James Plotkin. So I feel like, the songs have largely remained the same from the album, but that the mastering has emphasized different parts, but it's so hard to like test between the two. So maybe I'm just making it up in my head, but it definitely feels less brick walled and less overwhelming in every single element. And definitely like there's more dynamic, which is, I guess, okay, but it just somehow sounds different to me. And yeah. I still kind of prefer the CD copy that I've now had for, 15 years or whatever but so well, what did you think of Cloakland Fantasy I liked it I you know like I said you know, I don't know as much about these genres as you do I, I like your band because I like you but there there have been like certain things that you've shown me especially in the noise scene and that like I've written like Nicole 12 I really like yeah um this I, I really like like this I would actually listen to yeah. You know what I mean? Like, there's some stuff I ain't gonna lie to you, like, I probably wouldn't listen to if sure. you weren't involved in it. Um, but this I would actually pick up a CD of. Yeah. I mean, and Mersbau, for those who don't know, although I'm sure you do, infamously uh, prolific. I mean, over 500 albums. I think he's probably got over 1,000 at this point. So the guy puts them out. He's a hardworking dude. But this album is just so... It is like the gnarliest side of the Mersbau sound. And it was hugely informed, he said in interviews, by the whole being on Relapse Records and like trying to create like in some ways like a sort of something beyond death metal that Relapse was already famous for and like but like taking that vibe, that imagery, that brutality. And it's just like it's fucking relentlessly punishing and there's none of the spacey, there's none of the build up. It is just like from get fucking just a non-stop onslaught i mean this recommendation is almost pointless because if you are into noise then you've heard of mersbau if you've heard of mersbau you've heard of this pulse demon taro machine probably or the mers box which is like 50 cds and uh it's just fucking awesome and now that it's been reissued you know if you're into the vinyl thing check out the vinyl but like you can still get the original cd for pretty cheap and I would just get the CD because it is the perfect format for this kind of noise. In my opinion, like it should be high fidelity and the awe inspiring loudness of the mastering is not one to be missed. I mean, it really like, I, I, I have to dig the CD out of my parents' house. I was looking for the other day. It's not my noise box. I'll show you sometime because I'll show you like what a CD at a regular volume sounds like. And then you turn that fucker on and it's just like, fuck you. Like I'm shitting on your face. I just love that, that on the CD itself, 
and it's not like propaganda or like a bit. Like they actually mean like, yeah. listen, if you fuck up your speakers, that's not not us. on us. Yeah, yeah. Which actually is, as far as waivers go, is, wouldn't be effective legally. But anyway, uh, yeah, venereology. If you don't know it, fucking get to know it. Like it is. It's just it's it's essential like top five harsh it, noise albums. It's good. It's good. It's yeah, good. It's real tasty. And uh, and the other big thing is I lead you towards glorious times. It's like one of the best. Is is my favorite track from the album. So the fact I didn't even know until after I fucking got the vinyl version in my hands that they took it, it off of the. Re- I was like, are you fucking kidding? How do you reissue a quintessential noise album and then just and remove, then take tracks off? Yeah. Yeah. Remove one of the tracks. Like I don't. I don't understand. But. It's his body of work. He's able to do whatever he wants. But yeah, that's it. That's the that's the disco box. No disco this week. <laughs> the antithesis Damn. of disco. Yeah. Maybe when it gets warmer out. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna close that box. <laughs> so, a um, couple things before I start on my Best Buy. I know I've been doing a lot of video games as of late, but I have very uh, limited time. I haven't had time to read a new comic book or. Um, well, you got to pick your poison. Yeah, or, read, or gonna... read a book, albeit I have started reading, a, a, it's not a new book, but it's a book that I'll probably review on the podcast that you'll have a lot of input on. But, that being said... Is it from the dick? No. What you reading? I'm reading Dune. Oh. I've never actually read Dune. Oh, yeah, so, yeah, I think you told me this before. Yeah, I fucking my, love Dune. Yeah, my dad gave me... Got like I, five copies of Dune right here. Yeah, I, I've, I've, se- I've seen the movie and the miniseries, like I grew up with it, but I've never actually read the book. Did, did you hear they're remaking it? Yes, yes, I did. Okay. Yes, I did. I'm very excited. And it's the dude who made Blade Runner. Yeah. 2049. Yeah, so it's going to be pretty, if nothing else. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's a whole nother... You know, we'll probably do a whole episode Dune on that cast. fucking movie. Dune cast. When it comes out, but... Same. Side note, my dad gave me his original copy, so nice. it feels, and it's like older and yellowed, and it's like, I think it's like the original artwork, uh-huh. so like it feels good to uh, be able to share something with my dad, but anyway, that's besides the point. Um, I really want to hop on Capcom's dick right now. Okay. Um, Ride it. Yeah, the, I mean, honestly, like as a publisher, as a video game company, they've been straight crushing it the last couple years. Crushing mad sloppy uh, cash. Resident Evil 7 was a fucking triumph, and they took the the genre the, of survival horror and their own game series and totally flipped it on its head and changed it into something different while keeping it the same at the same time after some very bad, 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 bad Resident Evil games. Pretty much everything between 4 and, and 7 was garbage. But, you know, then they came out with Mega Man 11... And then they came out with the Resident Evil 2 remake, which I already spoke about. And then recently they came out with Devil May Cry 5. Now, I'm not reviewing that one. I've played a little bit of it. haven't played enough of it to give an honest review. But I am going to review one of my favorite games of all time, which is the original Devil May Cry. Now, fun fact... Classic, classic fucking game. Yeah, great game. Now, a little bit of information, if, if, if our listeners don't know... But the game was actually going to be a sequel to Resident Evil, but it got so different that the people working on it for Cap in Capcom were pretty much went to the higher ups and were like, "Hey, why don't we just like, you know, start a new IP?" And Capcom was smart enough to be like, "Yeah, sure, okay." That was back when they could make new IPs. Yeah, but um, so the the first one is very much in that vein of Resident Evil 
where it's got like the fixed camera angles and you know there is like this inherent creepiness to it now i'm i've i recently played through one through three and i played them on the ps4 re-release they did and the game looks great it really does you you saw me play some of it, I played it, some of it yeah. yeah it looks really good um especially you know i mean it is ps2 so it really can't look that bad but the game looks great it it's really is kind of creepy there is something in the first one that's captured that i feel that they've lost in every consecutive one which is you're in this you know giant mansion the whole time so you have like this isolation there's nowhere else to go except inside of this giant horrible castle mansion place yeah you just go deeper into the nightmare yeah and i love the cheesiness of it of like you know dante being this like bad rock and roll dude and you know can i can i make a comparison <coughs> agree i feel like devil may cry is the same as evil dead one and then basically they both take the same turn like devil may cry well okay so evil dead 2 rules whereas devil may cry 2 sucks yes. but then devil may cry 3 and army of darkness are both good again but like take it to a like a complete new level of cheesiness but that's where the series goes it goes from like having horror and like sort of aloofness and whatever to a point and enjoyability but like still having real horror to just like quickly dropping that to have way more fun and just like an old quote-unquote horror setting. Yeah, no, I, that's actually a, a perfect analogy because, you know, the first Evil Dead was campy, but it wasn't meant to be, and I feel that the same way about the first Devil May Cry because, like, you know, it's, it's Dante, he's that real rock and roll dude. And it's, it's. I mean, the whole idea is instead of Devil May Care, it's Devil May Cry, Yeah. and, like, he wears a red trench coat, has, like, White hair, snow white hair. White longish hair. Yeah, double guns and a huge... Like, it's everything about it is written by a 13-year-old who was, like, snorting pixie sticks and just being like, what's the coolest things I can think of? Well, that's the thing. Like, Dante against the backdrop of... I can't remember the name of the place, but the, the this big castle seems almost juxtaposed. Like, he's not supposed to be there. Yeah. Because he's rock and roll, and this is, like, classic Spooky. horror. Yeah. And, you know, they... It's something the sound that, of a harpsichord. Yeah, exactly. And, like, the the soundtrack in that, in that game is, is very good in rock and roll. All the sounds of the guns, like, really punch. It feels really good when, like, you're racking up those points and get, like, an S when you're, like, really going ham on some stuff. Something that I forgot is that the style points aren't as important in the original for your rating. If anyone doesn't know, it's like level based. So even though you can go back to different parts of the castle, like it's chapters and like you get a grade at the end of that. And the first one is mostly based on time. So like if you just run right through and get things done as quickly as possible, you'll get a much higher rank than you will in the later ones. Uh, whereas like style points and stuff like that and like how many uh, how combos many and blood orbs you connected and combos and stuff like that is much more important. But, you know, like I said, I've replayed through it recently and there's that one part where you first start the game and you're going upstairs and you haven't met the Bloody Marionettes yet and there's this, like, window that has, like, the sun setting and there's, like, trees flapping in the background and, like, I actually, like, stopped there in game I was like, damn, that still looks really fucking good. Yeah. And I remember playing the game for the first time 
because I think the second one was coming out, and I was like, what is that? That sounds super cool. I'm going to go to GameStop and get the first one, and I did, and I beat the shit out of it. Yeah. And I've beaten all of them, except DMC and the newest one. DMC got boring, but... Is that the fourth one? It was the remake okay. that they did, where, yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to talk about it. But the storyline isn't, like, crazy good, but it's it's just, it's very atmospheric. The first one's very atmospheric. And they do something that I personally love when games do, where they, like, give you a compendium of all the enemies you fought, and they give you, like, all that, like, wonderful little flavor text. And mm. they do it for all the items, too. And I, I definitely feel that, like, Devil May Cry definitely helped the hack and slash genre like it was my first real foray into it before like god of war and stuff like that but it made hack and slash more i don't know it, it made it feel more like you had more control over it now in the later games you do get to have you know like style changes and stuff like that and some of it gets kind of muddied but like this is just bare bones hack and slash well yeah so it was the first time where the mechanics allowed for this faster paced but more stylized version of combat that like just previous games weren't able to do and so the first of my cry was like from my perspective a revelation and and basically the precursor to God of War and all those related games because it was like here is here's like you know Here's like a Hong Kong, basically like somewhere between John Woo and Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, but with like all of Japanese version of America meets Gothic horror bullshit. Like it was like the perfect amalgamation of elements. And yeah, no, I completely agree. And the, the nice thing about it too, especially Devil May Cry compared to most other games, even most God of War games is like the first one can be fucking brutally hard and you really have to be on your shit, and it's like, Bloodborne, fuck, Bloodborne's probably faster than the original Devil May Cry in some ways about how the combat is, but it has, most of the Blood Souls games have that similar, <coughs> there's like a million good things about the games, and I think like, Dark Souls is more successful of having like, everything besides the combat being awesome, uh, but the combat is super satisfying and feels challenging in a way that's also rewarding. And Devil May Cry, especially with the fucking camera angles in the original version, yes. is so bullshit sometimes, that but it's first, so rewarding. That first boss fight against oh, yeah, the, the Phantom, fucking, which the monster is that the, is that the spider? It's the spider yeah. scorpion lava monster. Yeah, it's fucking ridiculous. Three great things. Yeah. Lava monster, scorpion, tarantula. Yeah. Like, it's fucking rad. And he comes down and he's, I'm going to eat your fucking head. But um, that fight is so frustrating because you're in a church steeple and there's fixed camera angles and you can move to like one part and the camera angle switches and there's all these columns there. Yeah. So when I first picked up the game and started playing again, I was, I was a bit out of practice and the dodge, the dodge rolling isn't as refined as it is in like the Soul series and stuff. So it like... It took me a little bit, but, like, just like all those other games, like, once you hit a groove, like, you're fucking, you're going. Yeah. And, you know, like, it is, it, it's hack and slash, but it's also, like, a very stripped-down RPG because you do have to spend money on movesets, and you do have to spend money to, like, upgrade things. Get the double jump as soon as possible. Yeah, get the air hike. Get, yeah. get that pretty quick. Um, and the stinger. The stinger, especially, like, you go oh, yeah. right across so you can hit stuff far away. But like the game is 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 it it really is incredible. You can pick up the trilogy for like twenty bucks, 
for for PS4. I don't know if it's on Xbox or not. I'm not an Xbox guy. Unfortunately, it doesn't have the fourth one on there, which I do love the fourth one. I don't know how oh, anyone else feels. One? Yeah. Okay. You can get the fourth one for PS4 as well. Pretty cheap. I'm probably going to eventually pick it up just so I have the full collection. Um, but, yeah, man, that game is like, it's like bare bones, just good. Yeah. It, it's fun. It looks great for what's, the remaster. What's your favorite boss? Honestly, probably the Phantom, because it's like that first one that, like, you, you see, well, no, never mind. Uh, Nero Angel. Ne- okay. Nilo? Nilo Angel? Yeah. That is my favorite, because... I really like the Phantom because, like, you fight him and then he keeps coming back yeah. and, like, chasing you down hallways and then finally you get justice because you get to fully fucking kill him. Yeah. But the first time you see this big blue demon, like, fucking break out and throw your ass against a wall and then, like, he looks out a window and, like, pretty much is like, fucking let's go do this outside and then you follow him outside and he's standing above... It, I'm sure you can find footage of it on YouTube if, if you don't plan on playing the game. But replaying it recently and like remembering that moment where like he's standing up high and you're down low and it's like do 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 and like it's just like he's like I'm gonna pretty much like just point at you and be like I'm gonna fuck you up. He doesn't speak. And spoilers, I'm not gonna tell you who he actually is if you actually plan on playing the games, but one of the best video game reveals of all time in the later series, but um, it's just fucking epic, man. That fight yeah. is so fun. Yeah. And it just it just keeps going, and it's, like, the first one, like, where you really get into that, like, dodge roll mechanic, because... If you don't, you die. Yeah, and, like, he can chunk away at your health pretty quickly, and, like, there's, like, levels to it. Like, you know, you'll beat the shit out of him on the ground level, and then he'll jump up, and then you gotta jump up there. But, like, you gotta know, like, if you don't, like, move as soon as you get up there, he's gonna hit you with, like, a fucking fireball. Um, just, but, like, that opening sequence where, like, you walk outside, he's standing there, and the music kicks in. It's just funny. So, in my... I played it in eighth grade. It was, like, the spring break where I really went crazy on that game because I didn't know and I had to borrow it from Andrew's brother, Augustine, and he had just beaten it, so we had, like, a couple weeks before he'd go back to it and we could play it. And we had been playing it, but I wasn't, like, really getting good and then sort of hit my stride. The whole way it was, though, when you replayed the game, everything item-wise got, like, ten times more expensive. Mm-hmm. And so if you didn't max out your life and your devil gauge and whatever bullshit uh, on your first playthrough, you were fucked as far as doing it on the second. I didn't know that, so I didn't do that. And when you get to that fight the first time, I could never get past it. It was just, like, so brutally fucking hard. I remember just being, like... I I remember the fight so well because I just remember doing it over and over and over. And then spring break ended and I didn't have 12 hours a day to just sit in front and fucking smash my head in the wall. But I remember when I got... Uh, I think it's called Air Raid. And, like... You like you jump up and you do it and you're all of a sudden you're this blue floating demon. I'm just like, oh fuck, oh yeah. yes, this is all oh, I've yeah. ever wanted. Yeah, I will say that for me that my two favorite bosses, which like are always hard to beat in any game that has this kind of boss, is Death Scissors and Death Scythe. And Death Scissors because when you fight him the first time, like I, I remember going through the game. I think it was on my second playthrough and they switched it around too. It was like one of the first games. I'm sure it wasn't one of the first games that did a new game plus thing, but it was the first game I ever played that did that, and I knew it, and it was really cool because they changed boss placement. They changed, like, I mean, there were bosses, like, as regular enemies super early on, all this other crazy crap. 
And I think it's in the original version of it. You fight him in the sewer tunnels, and you get into this thing, and it's like you see this skull on the wall. The ram head. Yeah, and then like he comes out of nowhere, and I remember like I was replaying the game, and I was like, "Oh, dude, I can get through this part, no hits." And like he comes shooting through the wall, doing his spindle thing, and just fucking drills me and kills me in one go. And I was like, "All right, well now I'm eating fucking crow." But I love that whole design. It's like this Baphomet ram skull, whatever bullshit, and he's got these huge scissors. And then Death Scythe is later on, who's got a big ass scythe and does the whole like throws multiple of them and then they like fly back into his like corporeal form and well i have visceral memories of like the, i guess it's like their lesser version oh when yeah you're in the library yeah and like you hear that <laughs> and they yeah. start coming out of the walls and like you know we were young when that game came out i was like what the fuck what the fuck what the yeah. fuck yeah the other ones i really like are the frost guys that you fight later on that are like the icy boys mm-hmm. those are super cool to me they're they're designed uh, the uh, Shadow Panthers, too, that, oh, like, yeah, will, like, fuckers. fucking fly up in the air and, like, shoot down at you, and, yeah. like, you just have to, like, pretty much survive until their core is exposed, Yeah. and there's, like, ways to, like, kind of cheat them quickly and stuff. I've seen, I, I watched a uh, speedrun of that recently, and it was fucking nuts. Yeah. But, yeah, that, play that game before I remember the, the bone fifth. puzzle with, like, fireballs, and, like, you had to move some shit around, and there was, like, a dragon shooting fireballs or something. Yeah. Yeah. bones. Those bloody marionettes still haunt me. Yeah. Again, it's 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 a, for me it's a very highly rated game. It was one of my favorite games. It was one of those games where when I was younger and I started getting into like I don't want to say off the beaten path, but like not like racing games and shit like that. Like I played this and I played uh, MGS Two Sons of Liberty and Give my that more hardcore. Yeah, like that. Like my. Horizons broadened to like more like all tour like video games, and you know like the guy who did that ended up going to make Bayonetta, which is like way more on the nose uh, weirdness yeah. than than Devil May Cry is. But listen, if you want to play the fifth one, fine, but do yourself a favor, go out and buy this collection. If nothing more than playing the first yeah, one, first one because the first one is incredible. Second one sucks, but the third one is good, and I really enjoyed the fourth one. Um, I will say that I have played some of the fifth one, and it is a huge nostalgia tinge for me because I did recently play the first one, like I've mentioned a billion times at this point, and it has a lot of the original sound effects, like uh, it has the original mm. menu sounds and like the pring, like when you click something, and it also has. You remember the big hands in the first one, and you break them. It sounded like breaking glass. Same thing when oh, you like cool. destroy a barrier and everything. And it still has that like you know you get a rating at the end of the level. Um, it seems a little bit easier than I'd liked it to be, and you can't start with Dante Must Die mode, which I was like kind of upset. Like I, like, I wanted to like be like I'm a big man. Let's throw in Dante Must Die mode. I'm not that far into it. I haven't run into that many enemies. One of the things I've always loved about Devil May Cry is the variety of enemies. So I haven't seen that many. Hopefully it doesn't stay that way. That was like the one thing I think uh, Breath of the Wild suffered from is they didn't have as many of like Zelda enemies as Zelda does. Yeah. Even though I fucking love that game, and it's become yeah. my second favorite Zelda game. Yeah, well, I mean, that I feel like that's the case often with games that are as much experience as mechanics. 
Like, you can get away with having less enemy variety if your gameplay mechanics are so fun that it, it works out, but it's like the combat for most Zelda games often is like not always the highlight anyway. It's about the story. Breath of the Wild it was. Yeah. The combat in that game was great, so it was the story. But anyway, well, then it's a different a shame. game. Then it's a shame that yeah. they didn't have more enemies. Um, but, like, yeah, the new one seems like it's good. I know a lot of people are uh, kind of pissed off that Capcom added some microtransaction stuff. Okay. Where you can spend money to get... Um, Pay to win? Sort of, yeah. You can spend, like, one ninety nine to get, like, 100,000 uh, red orbs. It's two bucks. And it's for the people, if they want to play to win, they, they can. If they want to start off OP, they can. Yeah. And it not a requirement to beat the game you're not going against anybody else you know what i mean so uh, does it harm the industry in the long run maybe but like who gives a shit well i think the bigger thing is and not to belabor the point but that that's i feel like that shit is most likely here to stay because the people that make those decisions have more money than they need to care about us and until people stop boycotting video games almost entirely all of those bad things will stick in, and it's like, yeah, you can choose not to get into it, which is pretty easy. Just don't do it. Yeah. Like, you know, who who's been... Well, yeah. And I would like to say that I, uh, I will have the game finished relatively soon and be able to review it in full on our next episode, but in a few days, uh, Sekiro comes out, and, you know, I'm probably not going to talk to my wife for a little while. Uh... <laughs> My my child will just be on my lap as he views the horrors of me being a ninja. But yeah, um, and all to be all, play Devil May Cry 1. Um, if you don't, I guess you don't like video games. Yeah, dumbass. Yeah, idiot. Stupid. Uh, well, yeah, I can only agree with that Best Buy recommendation. Wonderful. Wonderful. Great job. Terrific. Thank you. Thank yeah, you. Everybody says I worked so. real hard on don't it. Don't you think that's a terrific recommendation? Yeah. Yeah. Well... well that's it for this week, guys. Uh, we will see you again at our main staple, Motel Hell. Our bearded dick time, bearded dick hour. Be same bearded, bearded dick time, yeah. same bearded dick place. Yeah. In your pants. Yep. Later, nerds. Later, nerds. <laughs>